I think we're getting into the space where there's a lot of customization and people want things their way when they want it. And so how do you manage through that um, and manage to provide and fulfill different things at different points in time? And we've talked a lot about that, just the challenge of, um, you know, when you're purchasing something, someone brings it back in, managing inventory, like there's just so many different layers to the challenge as a retailer, as a business, when consumers want to get products at different in different ways and in different spaces and have the convenience of being able to return things quickly and, and do all those types of things. So I think um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this evolves in the next couple of years. And, you know, does AI become a bigger factor in that? Um, do we start to harken back and want to still have those physical retail experiences? You know, how does all this sort of hybridize itself into a way that we as consumers feel safe that we can get things, that it's convenient, um, and that, you know, it's cost effective for us? So. Um, it's. I think it's going to be really interesting to see as these next couple of years unfold how things shift. As retailers entered the lockdown in March 2020, a small, diverse group of Canadian thought leaders gathered to virtually speculate, collaborate, and share their insights on the waves of disruption facing retailers. The Business of Retail podcast emerged as an unflinching strategic alternative to the conventional discourse, revealing challenges in the headlines and exploring new unconventional paths for all facets of the retail industry. Now, here's the panel. Welcome to the Business of Retail. Um, with me, I have Christine Cowan. I have David Ian Gray. We have Gary Newberry. And from Retail Insider, we have Craig Patterson. And my name is George Menikakis, and today's episode is going to be a very interesting one and probably as hot as some of the other ones. But before we get into it, I'd like to remind you to dial into whatever channel you listen to to listen to us, uh, either Spotify or, um, or YouTube or uh, iTunes or whatever else you, you actually land. Uh, take the opportunity to listen to uh, the business of retail because we've got exciting stuff always on the go. So Gary, I'm going to actually flip it over to you because uh, I think you really got a real good handle on what this subject should be about. It's a very short, very short be, be, statement. Be, be, before we do it, can I just say for YouTube purposes, uh, I am in my brother's basement for the first time, I feel like since college, if you look back at me. But just <laughs> so straight apologies after. to the viewers for the... Uh, the atmosphere, but uh, yeah. I am uh, so, uh, finally with some families. So. Straight after the podcast, you're going to do a Twitter trolling attack on somebody or some subject, I guess. I'm going to play World of Warcraft. There you go. <laughs> right. So uh, we, I've seen quite a lot of commentary about how e-commerce is, you know, gained five years in five weeks and all that kind of, um, how would say rhetoric, because it's not, it has been pronounced, but it hasn't been that pronounced. Uh, we, we didn't have those kind of plans, and we certainly haven't made that kind of progress, although the pandemic's been very helpful. The latest proje projections I'm hearing is 50% of all retail is going to be done online. Now, online could mean click and collect. It could mean home delivery. It could be something that we're not even imagining right now. But 50% of retail online, 50% in store. Uh, in Canada, Currently, we're about, let's call it um, 80, let's call it being very generous, 85%. It's likely to be a bit higher than that in store. Now we're, we're starting to reopen in parts of Canada. So I'm just going to sort of throw that open and say, is that a credible 
claim or projection? Uh, and what what do we think as as a business or retailers, strategic thinkers in this space? What do we think about this? I think it really depends on where the retail is. If it's something like Dollarama or convenience, I think that it's going to probably always be overwhelmingly physical retail. But if it's something along the lines of technology, you know, I just ordered myself one of those digital journalist recorders online and got it delivered to my home. I I didn't need to see it in person. I I think it really will depend on the sector. You know, fashion, certainly there is technology coming out that you'll be able to do things online, including fittings. But um, again, I think we almost have to narrow it down to sectors. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be 50% personally, uh, but uh, automobiles now, apparently we're seeing record numbers in terms of sales of people buying cars and uh, not going into a showroom necessarily to purchase those. Although, you know, people probably will still want that test drive and that car might come to them. Um, And actually, uh, George, I don't know what your experience was with your Tesla, but maybe you've got some insight into the auto side of things. Um, It was a great experience because I, it was touchless. And I will tell you to your point, Craig, that uh, I bought a few cars in my time. And um, even more recently, I got my wife a car and it wasn't a Tesla. Uh, she was not disappointed, but obviously she was, but she, cause she got what she wanted. But at the end of the day, we, we ordered it online and then we were called in to go to the dealer and the dealer took us through the whole exercise all over again, which I thought was such a useless use of my time. <laughs> And I thought, well, you know, this is insane. Whereas Tesla, you know, even aftermarket, you know, I call them up and say, I think I've got a problem with my brakes. Well, it wasn't a problem with the brakes, but the guy showed up and he said, look, for $200, I can clean the brakes out. You know, and he did it right in my driveway. Right? I don't have to take it to a dealership. Right? There was somebody there to do the work and everything's fine. But that level of service um, is going to continue to improve. And I, you know, I think the one that I heard today, and I and I forgive me for not remembering the right name, but I think it's Smiles on Wheels, which you know is dental on wheels going door to door, you know. And it, again, it comes that back to that whole convenience factor of consumers. And so when you think about the drive for more convenience, faster service, you know, value rewriting of whatever you think value is, yeah, I I believe that that fifty percent could happen, but there's a lot of other things that have to happen behind it in order to get there because you're saying Gary what you're what you're saying is we're going to go from 15% to 50 that's tr- more than tripling where we're at today right and if in in the next 4 years that's a lot to happen at one time mm-hmm. and it's creative and it's creative destruction if it happens that fast yeah well if, and, and i think before we go into the, the you know we're going to have to figure out what are the the ramifications of that happening and what and you know how that plays back through the systems but you know i think this is also a great opportunity for uh the people listening that are are retail leaders you know if you're talking about customer centricity one of the one of the things to really think about here is we try and dumb our picture of the customer down and we say you know we'll do a, a study and we'll say craig's profile is he's a convenience shopper and actually, probably it's the other way. Craig, you're a experiential shopper. George, you're a convenience shopper. But a lot of these things, and first of all, we got to start with segments. Like it, you can't make a statement and say shoppers on mass will do all one thing and not the other. But even within the segments, it's very situational. You know, someone's going to be price driven in something they don't care so much about. 
but they'll save that money and, and put it in or, or spend time and effort in something that matters more to them. And I think that's the level of nuance we, we have to bring into this discussion on, on the retailer brand side. And I don't see it happening enough. They'll, they'll tend to pigeonhole a product group and say, well, that, that's going to be a product group that's not going to be of interest to anyone being experiential. Well, that's not necessarily true. I, I'll just add in before uh, sort of Christine um, perhaps shares her, her, her thing. Um, I, I've said for a long time, e-commerce doesn't pay. If it doesn't pay at 15%, as being generous in, in general, um, how can it pay at 50%? This is, this is not a, a, a problem that you scale up to make more money. If you can't make money fairly quickly on e-commerce, the more you do of it, the greater the loss might be. So does this perhaps talk about some, uh, to, to, uh, to, to uh, George's point, uh, creative destruction or, or just self-destruction of um, retail brands looking to think that somehow if we just follow this projection and try and get ourselves to 50%, uh, investing in lots of perhaps fulfillment facilities that don't pay their way, this is a sure ticket to... Well, not success by any structured imagination. So I think we have to factor in what we start, what we've already started to learn that it's not paying to do e-commerce. Yeah, I think um, what's interesting to me is it's not going to be as we know it today. I think for us as we move forward, um, I was reading something that IKEA is doing a lot more with AI. So it's like, how does the consumer have that seamless experience where they can see? you know, furniture in their environment, or, you know, I think, you know, Warby Parker and some of those other brands where you can like take a photo and see what the glasses are going to look like on you. Like there's going to be things like that, where the consumer can have that experience maybe of going into a retail shop without having to physically go. But at the same time, I think there's always going to be consumers like myself. I want to go and see something, touch and feel it and see it in true life before I make a decision, especially if it's going to be a major purchase or it might be um, something that I'm, you know, from an apparel piece that I'm not sure if I'm going to like it or if it's going to fit or whatever else. But I think what's really interesting is the whole conversation around making things easier for us. And, you know, I've got a crack in my windshield. Now they'll come and actually replace the windshield at my house. So that's a huge convenience for me. If I'm busy in my day to not have to go to a place, sit and wait while my windshield's being repaired, like, They'll give me a time window, but that's fine. I can be doing other things while I'm here um, working away. And it's kind of funny because you think about the old days, like the milkman would come or the guy would come by and sharpen your knives. Like there's all these little convenient things that we used to be able to have back in the day that were sort of lost. Um, and I think we're if we're working from home, if we're doing all these other things, I think those little conveniences are going to be really important. I also agree that it's going to be really challenging for retailers and brands and consumers to kind of figure out what all those needs are going to be, because we're, I think we're getting into the space where there's a lot of customization and people want things their way when they want it. And so how do you manage through that um, and manage to provide and fulfill different things at different points in time? And we've talked a lot about that, just the challenge of um, you know, when you're purchasing something, someone brings it back in, managing inventory, like there's just so many different layers to the challenge as a retailer, as a business, when consumers want to get products at different in different ways and in different spaces and have the convenience of being able to return things quickly and, and do all those types of things. So I think 
Um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this evolves in the next couple of years. And, you know, does AI become a bigger factor in that? Um, do we start to harken back and want to still have those physical retail experiences? You know, how does all this sort of hybridize itself into a way that we as consumers feel safe that we can get things, that it's convenient, um, and that, you know, it's cost-effective for us? So, um, it's. I think it's going to be really interesting to see as these next couple of years unfold how things shift. A 50-50 sounds like a pretty big jump to me, but you know who knows? I mean, we've had some pretty significant changes in the last year and a half, so it, it could be really interesting to see how the, that sort of plays out. And I think brands have to be aware of that and have to be prepared to think differently in the future and how consumers are going to interface with them in multiple different ways. Can, can we agree that... On mass, 50% across all categories is fairly unlikely, but it's such a catastrophic uh, situation, and maybe that's the wrong word, but it's such a high-impact situation that there needs to be a game plan in its possibility, much like a game plan for, say, a pandemic, which is you know low probability but high, high impact. But how many of us think 50% is really where we're headed? I'm going to say no for me, although some categories might. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be a segmented situation. But, but having said that, you know, being ready with the what if it's 50%, what would that mean? I think that's an important role play to play through. And I wonder, we're going to learn a lot from it. I mm-hmm. wonder if it might even revolve around a showroom situation where People, you know, maybe in a showroom, but would order online, like the Canada Goose store at the CF Sherway Gardens in Toronto. You don't walk out with that product. Is that an e-commerce transaction? Do you order it in the store? I mean, it's it's kind of ordered there. I think there's going to be a lot of blurring around how people do things in terms of maybe they'll go into a physical space to experience something. Uh, and this wouldn't be your Dollarama type of thing. This would be more of a high, uh, you know, involvement purchase, like maybe a piece of jewelry, but that item may get to them. I mean, one thing that I'm seeing right now is a lot of same day shipping. Uh, you know, all these companies are racing to be the fastest and the biggest. And, uh, you know, with that, you know, we may, see, I, I think we are going to see a real blurring here. Um, I'm, I'm blown away. You know, I live in Yorkville in Toronto and um, the lineups of people to get into stores still. Um, I live above the Hermes store on Bloor Street. I, I cannot believe the number of people standing in front of there to shop when they can order it online and they, they can have stuff delivered. So clearly there is a demand for physical retail. And I know for myself, again, when the stores opened here, I was eager to get into the stores, you know, just, just to have an experience and, and do that. And I still do it and I prefer it. So I, I don't know. It depends on the people as well. The lineup thing's interesting because having worked a lot overseas in Asia, I mean, that's been there for years. I mean, luxury stores, people line up to wait hours to get in and shop and it's very controlled. And um, so it was kind of happening before the pandemic, which is interesting. But um, yeah, the other thing, I mean, back to what you were talking about, like restoration hardware is a great example of like that showroom space. It's absolutely beautiful. And I think a lot of furniture stores are like that where you can't necessarily get it right away. Um, and so, you know, maybe we become a little more patient, like we've had to be with some things that we haven't been able to get as quickly as we were able to before. Um, but, you know, Tesla is another great example. Like who would have thought we would walk into a mall and go into the mall and look at a car and buy a car there, or to be able to just go and test drive it randomly whenever we want without a lot of, you know, other than, 
here's my license and um, my insurance. So I think just people are thinking differently and the brands that are winning are thinking outside of the box and doing things differently than maybe we are used to them doing from prior years gone by. So, so what's so what kind of exciting. What, Christine, what, what do you think online means then? Because I like what you're saying. I, I, I'm very channel agnostic. Like I think whatever the solution is could be uh, a mix and match and a hybrid. But when, when you hear a statement coming out from, which may be actually a company that builds something to do with online technologies, I'm guessing, but when they're saying 50%, what do they mean? Do you think it's totally pure play? And, and why is that so important to them to make that statement? Like, what is the issue? Because if you have a showroom, then you're paying for real estate. So is the issue about real estate? Is the issue about what? Well, I, you know, I wonder if it becomes less about um, having just the real estate land grab that we've seen before. Like every, every city and every province and every state has to have like a gap on every corner um, or a Starbucks on every corner. Like, I feel like those types of things, maybe it's, um, it's going to be in the right location and the right space for the right consumer. And maybe this sort of, we've got to be everywhere and be everything to everybody um, doesn't necessarily work because you're starting to see all these businesses closing and the ones that were the big players like that, like, um, you know, in, in Tokyo, there's a really cool concept that Starbucks has. That's it's more of an experience where you go into this high level roasting um, location and they've got beautiful, um, just the interior of it's really incredible. They've got these beautiful like um, brass things for the coffee and you can go upstairs to the cafe and have like a sit down meal with your coffee, or you can have like a cocktail there. Then you can go get your beautiful coffee and all the different mugs. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of like the experience thing too, is such a big part of what we've been craving. And you don't always get that just like walking into a random store um, we were talking about Eatly earlier. I think that um, example is a great one where you go in, there's experience, you're, you can shop, you can grab your wine, you can take, take do some takeout, or if you want to sit down and have a nice meal, you can do that there as well. So, and it's in a beautiful space that's just inviting and friendly. Um, you know, could you create that online? I don't know. Maybe you can, no. maybe you can't. I, I don't think you can. I, I think the answer is no, at least within our, I mean, there's sci-fi versions of holodecks, but right now you, the online works really well when you already know what you want, basically more or less is, is pragmatic, but when you need inspiration or you want to feel some emotion in a moment and uh, maybe there's a social aspect, all those things you can't replace um, good physical mediocre physical is the biggest risk point right now because i don't think people have the patience to put up with stuff that's not clicking then then literally they're going to go click but i think uh you know i think i think you hit the nail on the head like and by the way christine i'm sure you have moments then where you don't need that experience like you are the same person but in another situation you want to do a drive-through coffee right yeah so i think i think we as consumers need the mix I think retailers are going to fumble their way through it. Gary, I'm kind of wondering, back to the 50-50, are the people most at risk not retailers, right? Like maybe it's the landlords. Well, I think the landlords might be all right because if it goes 50-50 and somehow it arrives there, there'd be a massive uh, expansion of warehouse and fulfillment facilities. 
So, you know, they used to sell stores. Now they're selling a lot of warehouse space. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I read reports from a real estate company, oh, kind of supported by real estate companies, said, yeah, you've never been so busy. Yeah, because you're trying to find warehousing space to contain all the e-commerce traffic that's going on and returns, et cetera. But I, th- I think the real estate agents will have to do their own transition from selling in prime locations to selling in, you know, sort of brownfieldy kind of kind of situations. But I don't think they're going to be. I mean, there'll be a transition in terms of there be maybe a dip in dip in their costs, uh, dip in their profitability until they kind of reposition themselves. But I I think it's still the retailer is is at extreme risk if they follow the path of working in today's paradigm and trying to do 50% of their business uh, via some click situation, click and collect, WAPIS, home delivery, or delivery to a point of convenience, uh, and try and do that without doing anything with price. Yeah, you know what? I to your earlier point, Gary, about you know how do you how do you get to fifty percent? You know, fifty fifty. You know, I was thinking, listening to everyone, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, you can reduce overhead. How do you stay profitable unless you cut overhead? Now, you may not be cutting headcount, but if you don't need a home office, and because people are working from home, and you can operate, you know, virtually twenty four seven if you needed to. You can have people on your stores. Are, your stores may not be open twenty four seven, but they're open seven days a week. But your online platform, your distribution center, is working twenty four seven. It's a very different world. So you don't need the office. <clears throat> you can start cutting away at costs that way. But to your point about you know converting some of these commercial properties or re- retail properties to com- to industrial commercial properties, there is a cost reduction that comes with that because it's not as a favorable location anymore. So you're getting a lot less money per square foot for industrial building than you would for a mall, substantially less. Yeah. So I think that that changes the dynamic. Typically, a warehouse would be bigger than a store. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you know, at the end of the day, I can see a lot of these properties um, just reinvented. You know, and I and initially, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, people were talking about uh, malls becoming these hybrid. You know. Uh, community center, community buffers, you know, where you build apartment buildings around it and shop at a grocery store. You know, I'm not so sure anymore about that. I'm not convinced about that prospect, but I'm even, it's even a tougher sell that you're going to go to 50-50 in that short a time frame. You know, if you were said to me in a decade, I would say, yeah, you know, there's a good probability there, but so many things have to happen, social, political, technological, you know, uh, economic, over and environmental, over and above where we are today for all of this to transpire. And I really wonder, you know, and maybe we'll find someone who has a real good handle on this and why they believe these numbers are accurate because you've got to have that forecast nailed down to some very powerful assumptions that you vetted because otherwise you're just po- you're just throwing a number, you're just po- you're throwing a dart on the wall and say, yeah, look at that, it's 50-50. Mm-hmm. Well, G- George, the other thing is, uh, you know, I think people simplify by saying it's... Uh, it's supply and demand, right? Online supply and demand. But we're in an ecosystem. So the other there's other parties, other players involved in this that could have a big say. So for example, imagine the amount of delivery traffic that would be 
coincidental to that level, you know, volume of ordering, how does that even logistically take place, right? Now, you had mentioned earlier, maybe it, it doesn't have to be to your home. Maybe it's to store and you pick up there. But either way, there's logistics that are going to be part of this that regardless of the demand, it, it, it may not come about. And the other, um, the other thing that I think is just horrendous and not talked about is starting to get talked about but not enough still is the reverse supply chain is the is the amount of waste in this process where product is being shipped back and in many cases it's just disposed of at that point um there anytime there's things like that there's a cost to it somewhere and and that's not getting addressed fully and if we go to 50 50 you can only imagine what that might do to landfill or yeah so I, I think there's a lot more to a statement like that than simply are consumers ready. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I agree. I, I, you know, there's certainly a lot of new businesses that are going to prop up over the next couple of years who have already started. By the way, there's one called Swimly. And you got to hear about this one. They, you can actually book your swimming pool. You can book out your swimming pool if you wanted to. I've heard of that. Right. <laughs> so I, 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 it's crazy. I mean, I, I, You'd have to pay me a couple thousand to allow people into my backyard. But um, at the end of the day, you know, there's concepts out there that are being developed. You know, so I'm not, I'm not pushing the 50-50 idea away that far, right? But I do think, you know, that a number of transactions and in the, the industry, the businesses themselves are going to be impacted by this are, is much smaller than we think. Um, and, uh, and we'll see. I, I don't believe that it's going to happen that quick, but... Uh, I'm at best of times. I'm 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 an optimist. There are sometimes that I'm a skeptic. I'm a skeptic right now. It's been a great discussion, and we want to thank Christine Cowan, Gary Newberry, Craig Patterson, David Ian Gray, and myself, George Minakakis. And we invite you to listen to your favorite stations, Spotify, iTunes, or watch us on YouTube. Uh, get to our website, thebusinessofretail.ca, and listen. Um, we have a lot to offer. You can learn a lot and you throw our questions. If you have any at us, we'd be happy to entertain them. Thank you. You have been listening to the Business of Retail podcast, an unflinching strategic alternative to the conventional industry discourse. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please go to www.thebusinessofretail.ca.